The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I wanted polls and polls I got. It's a very weird and confusing way to start a podcast, but I did it. You guys can get dirty if you want, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actual polls on Twitter. We put them out, and we got results, and we'll be talking about those later on on today's podcast. This is, of course, Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. The R is in the second half. And this is a hoop ball presentation. That's hoop-ball.com. Check them out. Plus, we got off-season premium content going on right now. Fantasy Pass subs actually still have stuff coming out, which is kind of cool. Way too early rank boards, hits and misses. Uh, we have multiple season review type of things that are worth sticking around for. And the wager pass at $9.99 a month, 33 cents a day to get handicapping prowess picks from nine of the best of the best of the best, helmed by the great Devin Ellington. That division doing very nicely over there. I want to start today's show the way we have been throughout the rest of the last couple of weeks, and that is first point out that it is uh, still off-season week three, and it's off-season show number 14. I don't know why. There's something oddly satisfying about tracking how long we've uh, gone without an actual fantasy-relevant game happening. I just I really enjoy the off-season. I love just floating through podcasts, talking about whatever I want at whatever pace I want for whatever length of time I want. I don't have to cram in a bunch of box scores, but don't worry, we, we do those too. By the time the season comes around, I'll probably be excited to break down box scores again. But I got to tell you, right now, this is the stuff that kind of gets me going. Breaking down the poll results as we likely finalize our discussion on the value of first and second place in head-to-head leagues. And we know they're very valuable, but I I thought it was worth exploring a bit more on how valuable. But first, the playoffs. We got a few things right on the four-game Wednesday card. Philly beat Washington 129-112. We had that one handicapped perfectly. Figured Philly would put the clamps on. Defensively, they would work a lot harder. But I also figured the pace was going to be nuts because without Joel Embiid, there was no one slowing things down on the Philly side. And for Washington, I, th- I think there might have been an expectation that without Embiid, that, Phil- that the Sixers would lose their offensive prowess, but not against the Washington team that admittedly got a little better defensively late in the season, but not that much. And so Philly put up a buck 29. They also took 76 free throws, and that was the other side of things. You knew if this one was going to be, if there was any doubt at all, Teams are going to be whacking each other. There are a ton of free throws in this game. Teams committed 55 fouls. So it went soaring over the number by a dozen. We nailed that one. We got the Philly cover on the leans on yesterday's podcast. We didn't get both halves of the second game, however. We'll get to that in a minute. Philly advances. Washington is done. They took one, which by all accounts is actually pretty good. And the Wizards will regroup. They were certainly a much better team in the second half than they were in the first half this last year. I would, rec- I would venture to guess that they'll have Thomas Bryant back at some point next season. That'll help them quite a bit, although Daniel Gafford was a nice pickup. Uh, Rui Hachimori is going to have to get better, and they're going to need more talent because once you got past Beal, 
And Russ, whatever you may think of him, he's still better than most of the other guys on that team. There's a pretty steep drop-off. Maybe Denny Avdia gets a little bit better as well, but you can't just hope on guys getting a little bit better. You need to do something about it. Philly is on to play the winner of Atlanta, New York, which we know, but it is the next thing we'll be talking about. And so fear not, on tomorrow's podcast, we'll talk a little bit about that series, which is going to be the Sixers and the Hawks. We nailed our biggest first-round series play. That was a good one, and that was a pretty easy one. Atlanta had one game where their offense fell apart. That was game two. Otherwise, they just owned it with great defense against a fairly anemic offensive team in New York. And the thing that we talked about came to fruition. This game was a perfectly reasonable example of that. Early in the fourth quarter, the Hawks led by a little over 10. I think they were up by like 13. And the lead got trimmed to about nine. And Nate McMillan with like nine minutes left. He was like, you know what? Starters, get your asses back in there. And so Trey Young played 41 minutes of this game. Going into the series, I said the biggest advantage the Knicks had over anybody they played against this regular season was defense. But the second biggest advantage that the Knicks had over anyone they played this regular season was that they were trying harder on regular season games than most of their opponents were. And that goes away in the postseason. So suddenly they met a Hawks team... And the way we broke it down, the very simplistic handicap was Trey Young averaged like 33 minutes a game this year, and Julius Randle averaged 38 or 39. That tells you all you need to know about which team cared more on a game-to-game individual level. It was the Knicks in the regular season, and they ended with the same record. And the Hawks were beat to hell this season. So as Atlanta got a bit healthier, Bogdan Bogdanovich being probably the biggest part of that puzzle, and were willing to play their guys 35 to 42 minutes a game. It just wasn't even that close. The Hawks move on to get a Sixers team that is currently without Joel Embiid. We really don't know his timetable, but they will have a little bit of time to get right because this was Wednesday. I think they're off for like four or five days before their first game, so that's a really big deal. And I don't think we can make a play series or game without knowing what the deal is with Joel Embiid because both are going to be priced based on what his status looks like. In fact, you might even see some some books keep the numbers down so that they don't get fleeced. Because it's not just one side or the other on a futures wager. If somebody knows something on Embiid, I'm betting a lot of people are going to be fading the Sixers because Joel missed these last game and three quarters, whatever it was. So yeah, I don't I don't know how you take that plunge. But we'll talk more about that on tomorrow's show. We'll we'll pull up some of the uh The statistics on that one. The late games on Wednesday, Memphis and Utah, Dallas and the Clippers. And, of course, one of those saw its conclusion on Wednesday night. Memphis falling in Utah in a game that we really had handicapped relatively well. It went over as we expected it would because it didn't really seem like Memphis could slow down the Jazz and they've been hitting their three-pointers. The thing that didn't happen in this game was I thought we'd see some free throws down the stretch, but it was actually such a big gap that it uh, sort of didn't even really matter. Um, I had a feeling that after getting trounced at home twice, Memphis was sort of out of gas in this series. Like, the the wind was out of their sails. They won the opener. They had some steam. They didn't really care about losing that second one and then just being unable to stay tight to Utah in their home games. You go back out on the road, you're just... There isn't going to be a whole lot left in the tank. So... Uh, great season for the Grizzlies by all accounts. They made the playoffs. 
They took a game from the one seed. They're an up-and-coming team that got here, I think, faster than people expected. So I worry about maybe setting the trajectory aim too high with this team because it's unclear how much better they're going to get. But look, Dylan Brooks made a name for himself as a defensive stopper who actually started to make some good offensive plays in the postseason. Ja looked really good when the spotlight was on. Seems like he actually needs stressors to play his best. JJJ now getting closer to healthy. They really do need Jonas Valanciunas. They're, they're pretty thin without him. The, uh, the kind of disappointing stuff for the Grizzlies this year, um, Brandon Clark didn't really take any kind of step forward. DeAnthony Melton was someone that we thought was going to leapfrog other people, especially getting that contract, but then he ended up basically sharing time with everybody in that massive, massive timeshare. Uh, and so the Grizzlies now look towards the future. And they're a young team, so they don't have to blow anything up. They've got a window that's just starting to open, but they're also going to have to look at this from a, hey, can we get someone on the outside to come in? an established veteran presence to go along with John Morant, because as good as these other guys are, and JJJ is a good basketball player, and JV, we love him here at Hoopball, fantasy stud. These guys are all good, but I don't know. I don't think anybody gets up quite to that level. Jaw's on his own level, and you guys know I picked on him for his fantasy game, and there are holes in it. Even in this giant one, no steals, no blocks, five turnovers kind of thing, and the percentages tend to hurt a little bit. Uh, but overall, he's a great basketball player, and he, he shines brightest in these moments. So he's their star, but they're going to need another one, and I don't know that it's coming from within. I'm not as high on JJJ as others in the fantasy community. I think he's going to be a good basketball player, but there's just no part of his game that, to me, shouts dominance. It all shouts good, and that's not bad. You want a lot of good basketball players on your team, but the Grizzlies have like 11 good players, one star. They're going to need... A little bit of a tip in that balance. And we'll talk more about them, of course, as we get towards our off-season analysis. For Utah, Mike Conley left that game in the second quarter with hamstring tightness. He is, quote, hopeful that he'll be able to play in their opener of the second round. They don't know who they've got yet. It's going to be the winner of Dallas and the Clippers. That series has yet undecided. We'll talk about that game in just a second here. Uh, but Utah looks good. They're, they're getting back to full strength. They, they ran up against a team that didn't play a ton of defense in Memphis. So whatever they get in this second round, it's going to be two pretty different looks. If it's the Clippers, they'll have the two superstar wings to contend with. If it's the Mavs, they'll be dealing with Luka. The pace will be very different. Clippers and, and Dallas not really interested in running the, the way the Grizzlies did. Grizzlies wanted to run. Run, 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 run. In this game, everybody, these games all kept going over because Utah kept hitting their three-pointers. But it'll be, it'll be an interesting test. I think I would take Utah over either of those teams the way they look right now. But to me, anything is possible, and it's not as lopsided as this one was. The Grizzlies were very much a bottom playoff team. As you expect from a team that had to win two play-in games just to make the playoffs. So we can't dive too deep into this because we don't know who they're playing yet because Dallas beat the Clippers... In L.A., that game, that series is now 3-2 in favor of the Mavericks, and they head back home trying to wrap things up, but anything, again, is possible. Not a single home team has won in that series so far. Dallas has won all three of their games in L.A., and the Clippers won both of their games in Texas. Luka was amazing, 42-8-14. He is carrying this team on his shoulders. He is everything. 
took 37 shots in that game, which honestly is probably too many, but he has no help. Dwight Powell, I would argue, was actually the second best Maverick yesterday. Dorian Finney-Smith played a really good defensive game. Tim Hardaway Jr. had 20 points, but it took him 19 shots to get there. Efficiency-wise, isn't that really all that far off the pace that Lucas set? But they need more out of Kristaps Porzingis. And I know that Rick Carlisle talked about KP hitting that big corner three to put the Mavs up 10 with about two and a half minutes to go, but he followed that up by biting on a fake pass that freed up Marcus Morris for a three-pointer. So uh, to me, that was kind of a wash. And I hate to... to clown on Porzingis because it's really popular to do so right now every one of these games I'm like come on KP I'm rooting for him at the start of every one of these playoff games come on man everybody's picking on you for being a no-show do something and every damn game he just wilts and Carlisle's like well they're just they're draped all over him the whole game go do something else then if they're draped on you go get inside the paint you're seven foot a million there's no one the Clippers play that can get anywhere near his release point. Go get a post game or something. Or spot up and shoot over these dudes from 14, 15 feet instead of 23. Do something. Do anything at all. Block a shot. Come on, KP. Don't do this. Don't give them fodder every day. I'm rooting for you, kid, but sheesh, it's been tough to right now. Clipper side, uh, Paul George was good. Kawhi was not. Kawhi had an, had an off game. And you actually, you sort of see this with Kawhi as playoff series go on. And I do wonder if it has anything to do with the neurodegenerative stuff that he deals with. If the fatigue of a grinding, you know, playing 40 some odd minutes a game playoff series, if that really begins to take its toll. And the longer a series goes, the tougher the Clippers have. But we'll see. They go back to Dallas this isn't like the bubble where teams are playing every day. There, there have been spots where clubs have had two days off between ball games. So if Kawhi can't get his energy up after that, then the Clippers' investment here was maybe a bit ill-advised, but they, they sort of had to do it. I don't know what's going on with L.A. I really don't. They shot 41% against a Dallas team that likes to slow the game down, but by all, by all measures was not a good defensive team during the regular season. They were fine at best. Clippers... Uh, underachieved their pace by a little bit, not by a ton, but, I mean, that's just unacceptable. They've got to be better. They had a ton of blocked shots. That was great. Got to the free throw line, a, you know, average amount. Turnovers weren't too bad at 12. Not good, but not bad. That's a game they need to figure out a way to win, especially when you hold the Mavs to 41.5% shooting. Luka getting no help at all. That shouldn't be enough to win. But it was. And so... It rumbles on. We'll break down uh, their next ball game on tomorrow's podcast. We have our Friday edition where we'll sort of go through the weekend games and so forth. Turning the page to this evening, Portland is favored by five with a total of 227 and a half. That last ball game, of course, the double overtime Denver win. A little surprised the total isn't higher. That game, of course, ending at 287 with the extra 10 minutes of basketball. Nuggets were favored by two there. Pretty big swing back to the Portland side. I think maybe there's a little bit too much stock right now being put in the fact that this is a must-win game for the Blazers. Like, we just assume that they weren't playing as hard as they could have in the last one. Denver wants to close this out. I know the Nuggets like to go seven games in all of their series, but they'd love to close this thing out. And that last one was... A shot to the gut. That was a, 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 
a mid-level blow to Portland because I, as good as Damian Lillard has been, I just don't know that he can do that again. He needs something, someone else. And and honestly, as good as Jokic was in that ball game, he can actually be better. So I actually lean to the Nuggets side, catching five. I think this is going to be a tight ball game. I'll take the team getting a couple of possessions. And on the total, honest to God, I don't even know what to do at this point. This this game, they actually haven't been playing that fast, which I realize is sort of hard to uh, internalize in a game that ended up at 287 points. Yeah, I get it. It's rough. Uh, Portland overachieved their number by about 10, thanks to all their three-pointers. Uh, Denver by more than that, actually. I think Denver overachieved by... What does that put that at? Like about 100 and about 16. So they overachieved by like 26 points in a double overtime game. Then it had 287, so it should have been more like 260. And you take away 10 minutes of basketball at four and a half-ish or so points per minute, and... You know, that's a game that probably should have been more in the 215 range. Here's why I'm afraid to take the under here. I desperately want to take the under. I'm afraid because if Portland is down, and they did this once before in one of the game, the game they lost in, in Oregon last week, I think it was last Thursday or something like that, they were down by six or seven, or maybe it was even eight or nine, with like 45 seconds to go, and they started fouling. And they made four consecutive three-pointers And remember that one? They put up like 20 points in under a minute of a game that appeared well on its way to an under. So I like the under, but also I'm petrified that the Blazers go into a foul mode early again. Lean to Denver, lean to the under. Phoenix and LA, Lakers favored by two with a total of 207. I can't, I I know a lot of folks are going to be on LA because of LeBron and they just, there's this expectation that they're not going to get eliminated, but LeBron's not 100% healthy. Anthony Davis isn't close to 100% healthy. Dennis Schroeder has been pretty hit or miss. When he's been good, they've won. And then there isn't much beyond that because KCP also not healthy. So, like, the Lakers are are just been obliterated by injuries all season. And they've carried over into the playoffs. Um, I, with AD playing, I think you probably expect the total to come back down a little bit. Phoenix scoring 115 in that last one, probably not replicatable. But I don't, I, like, I'd be surprised. I'm a Laker fan, so I'd be pleasantly surprised if they won this game. But I don't think they're gonna. I would actually look at Phoenix on the money line to close it out. I think they're just better right now than the Lakers at, like, 80% power. It's the playoffs. You can't get away with that stuff. You need your best guys to be able to go 40 minutes at full strength, and they're just not. The games the Lakers won in this series... AD was good in both of those. That was really the difference, and Chris Paul wasn't fully healthy in those games, and he's still not, so call that part a wash. But AD is much worse off now than he was a week ago. Lean to the Suns, money line, and uh, lean slightly to the over, because I think there probably would be some fouling here if this is tight late. They're not gonna, Lakers aren't just going to cash out if they're down like six with a minute to go. They'll probably play defense there, but if they... If they don't get a score or something, like let's say there's about 40 seconds left and the Suns get the ball up six, you probably see a foul there rather than run it down to 18, 16, 18 seconds left. That's just not much time. This podcast, as all of our podcasts, are brought to you by the good folks. You know where. 
Manscaped.com and MyBookie.ag. For goodness sake, people, for goodness sake, people, get your butts over to MyBookie.ag. Make sure if you're going to open an account before telling me, you got to use promo code HOOPBALL, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L, all one word. It's on the third page of sign-up. It doesn't tell you whether or not the coupon code worked or not, but it if you enter it that way on that third page where it asks where you heard about my bookie, it'll unlock some things when you're making your first deposit. I still want you guys to tell me before you do it, but maybe some of you don't have Twitter or don't feel like emailing or getting in touch with me or whatever. Uh, and so, fine, you're going to do it anyway. Make sure to use that coupon code. Otherwise, they won't know how you got there. And we should all win together. We win when you tell them who sent you. You win when you open up an account at mybookie.ag and win actual bets. Yours is a much more literal definition of win. We win because mybookie's like, oh, damn, HoopBall, what a great partner to work with. Let's keep being a sponsor and uh, let's help keep HoopBall open. <laughs> Manscaped.com, the coupon code is HOOPBALL20. That's for 20% off and free shipping on your order. But we're not going to go into a ton of additional detail on how to groom yourself. You'll have to figure that one out on your own. All right. So what for the recap here, and, and I really do think this is probably the last day of this part of the discussion. It's possible tomorrow we do a short one so I can kind of pair it up with the uh, playoff reboot that we've been doing on Fridays here. But without getting, and, and by the way, in that path, next week is when we'd start the Yahoo review, which actually kind of makes a lot of sense, get into it in the fourth week of the offseason. And I do have more damn lessons I want to do. I just, I don't want to delay the Yahoo's thing too much. Regardless, today, what we're talking about is a bit more on the, the value of getting a buy. BYE, the first round of your playoffs. So I had two polls that I put out on Twitter on Tuesday, and those basically just said, hey, if you're in a competitive head-to-head league, which seed won your league? The actual end of the playoffs trophy. And what we found out is that competitive leagues, first place actually dominated. Dominated to the tune of 38% of the time. But in a weird, what I, I think might be an anomaly... But I, I also don't really know for sure. Second place actually didn't do very well. There was a massive drop-off from 38 to about 18%. And then third and fourth and fourth and fifth, those combined for numbers in the 20s, which it's fine. That makes sense. Like that, that's, Each one is sort of less than the previous one. But I didn't expect it to be this big point at the top for first place and then this huge drop-off in competitive leagues. I thought that first... And second, at least, would be fairly evenly matched. Seems the, the answer is no. There's also the possible conclusion that maybe third place is a lot better than fourth in competitive leagues, and that makes it a tougher path for second place to get to the finals and the semis. But, but that'd be drawing a very large conclusion from only one piece of data. We also learned from our polls on Tuesday that we talked about on yesterday's show that more casual leagues it was actually much more like a coin flip that teams that had a first round buy got that 12.5% bump, basically. They dodged one round of a three-round playoffs. So their odds went from 1-8 to 1-4. Easy. First place was like 28%. Second place was just under 25%. 
And then third and fourth combined was like 25, and fourth and fifth combined was like 20. So there was a little bit of a drop-off there, because uh, fifth and sixth, excuse me, are not as good, but it, it, uh, it was reasonable. So that was actually a, a more linear. The line came down, but the, the curve of it was a little less absurd. But as we looked at that data on yesterday's show, it occurred to me that it was probably worth knowing not just who won, but who got where. I also wanted to make sure that the data we were analyzing was accurate to the notion uh, that I needed this to be a six-team playoff where the top two... Well, the, I guess it didn't need to be six-team, but it needed to have the top two teams with a first-round buy. That was the most important part because we're studying how the value of getting a first-round buy, not necessarily just a top-two seed. If you're in a league that doesn't have a buy in the first round, it's actually much less important. You have an easier path if you're the one seed because you're tech- supposedly playing a worse team in each round going forward, but you're actually more inclined to want the overperformers come playoff time as opposed to if you have a first-round buy then you can really take advantage of the semifinals because you can plot, you can game plan for that for a full week when everybody else is playing and you're not. So we had to get a few more polls out there. And the polls that we put out on Wednesday, and I realize I'm saying that word a lot and it's probably going to start to seem insane as we say it too many times, was how far did each seed make it in your league? And we can look at this one at a time, or uh, we can look at sort of an aggregate here. But suffice to say that the the simple fact that these the first and second place teams don't have to play in the first round of the playoffs takes one option off the table for them in this in these polls because this was a okay what happened for first and second place there isn't even an option for lost in round one because such a thing doesn't exist they either lost in the semis lost in the finals or won the trophy early data by the way suggests that first place teams made the finals close to 75 percent of the time they won their semifinal matchup at, at almost a 75 25 clip That's pretty remarkable. And early data suggests that second-place teams made the finals close to 60% of the time. 60-40. And they're playing a team second and third place. They're probably not separated by very much. Not like first to fourth. So the fact that that second-place team is winning more like 60% of the time instead of a coin flip, which would be 50, that suggests not necessarily just that the team is a little bit better, but the game-planning element is such an enormous thing. So second place now, if you get that buy and you're decent at what you do, you might even be able to go over that 60% mark to money. Going into the playoffs, that's an incredible, incredible advantage to have. And then you can kind of worry about what happens in the finals when you get there. But think about that. Think about how different that is when you look at like the sixth place team that only made the finals, uh, I mean, it, it should really be like 
13% of the time. It's slightly higher than that in the, in the early voting so far. But we'll see if that levels off a little bit. I believe it will as we get more data. And after a little respite here, kind of coming back, this is a break in recording, letting you guys behind the curtain. Uh, we do now have some more data. So let's go through this piece by piece. Let's start with the first seed. Again, the question, just to remind you guys, was the first seed, and there still aren't as many votes as I wanted to on this damn stuff, because this is just not a super interesting thing to ask on social media, but I do think it's relevant and I want to talk about it. How far did the regular season first place team get in the playoffs? Uh, 27% of the time, they lost in the semis. So 73% of the time, the first place team got through the semifinals. Made the finals 73% of the time. How about the second place team? Only 52, oddly enough, which tells me the second place team needs to be doing a better damn job in the semifinals. That should not be a coin flip when you have a week to prepare for it. And again, there are only like 70 votes on this thing because it's a super weird question to ask, and I get it. Uh, but 52% is not high enough. You second place teams need to do better. I don't think this is an accurate representation. I really don't. Of what it means to get a first round bye. I think what you saw from the first place team is, because not only did they get a first round bye, they also probably have the fourth or fifth seed. They definitely have either the fourth or the fifth seed in the semifinal round. Those teams are generally going to be worse than the third place team or the second place team. So there's a bigger gap there. And... The first place team can prep for that round, and they were probably just a good team to begin with. So you roll all those things together, and that's how you ended up, or we ended up at uh, 72%, or 73%. I already forgot the number I said. 73. I think in second place, you're probably looking at more in the 55 to 60 neighborhood. If we had thousands of votes on this, I believe that that number would come up a little bit. Because again, you, you roll in... Honestly, just the prep alone should give you close to a 60% chance of winning the semifinal round. Just, be able to, just being able to take the previous week and use all of your roster moves to prep for the semis. Dump all your injured guys, pick up dudes who have five-game weeks, all that kind of stuff. Maximize your games played. You should be able to give yourself three, four, five-game advantage over whatever team is coming in out of round one. So a lot of these second-place teams I don't think are using that leverage the way that they should. That should be much higher than 52%. It's crazy that it's that low. Should be 60 or more. First place, at least, that one makes a little bit more sense. What about the third place team? How far did they get? Uh, well, now we actually have the round one among the options that folks could choose from. Well, the third place team in this voting, which again, small sample size, only made the finals 28% of the time. Which, believe it or not, is actually better than you'd expect uh, if it was just a coin flip. But luckily for the third-place team, they are, uh, they're generally better than the team they play in the first round. They play the sixth seed, so they should get past that one. If it was a total coin flip, then that third-place team should have lost in round one 50% of the time and advanced past round one 50% of the time, but it's not. In this instance, third-place team lost in the first round only 25% of the time. So they actually have a 75-25 split on beating the sixth seed. 
which still left 75 out of 100 tries to get through the semis and into the finals. Well, unfortunately, things got a, a bit more coin flippy, and the third place team only advanced past the semis 47% of the time. Uh, excuse me, 50, uh, 28. <laughs> get this right, Dan. 28 out of the uh, 72 points that remained. So this is another. We have to we have to do a little bit of the math ourselves here. Uh, so here the here's the data. The third place team lost in the semifinal round forty seven percent of the time out of a hundred, and made it to the finals twenty eight percent of the time. So uh, forty seven out of seventy two, seventy five. Jeez, Dan, get it together over there. Forty seven out of seventy five is the probability that they now lost. In the semi, so that's 63% of the time. And they advanced past that point in the semis, 28 out of 72, which is about 39% of the time. Out of 75, I don't know why I keep doing that. 28 out of 75, 37% of the time. So it was a bit more like a two-third, one-third split. This, I think, is actually more accurate. The third-place team won the first round a lot, and then lost in the second round a lot because the second place team had that buy and had an opportunity to prep. So this data is telling us that for these teams that voted, the second place team beat the third place team about 63% of the time in that semifinal round. That, I think, is much more reflective, although whatever. Maybe, maybe the reality is somewhere in between 63 and the 52 we just had from that second place thing. What about fourth place? This is also interesting because they're going to play fifth place and then first place. And the data here is actually not that crazy, um, although fourth place teams seemingly in, these, in this limited sample size did better than expected against the first place team in the semifinal round. However, fourth place team lost in round one. 30% out of 100. Okay? Now, again, if it was a total coin flip, that would have been 50. But they won a little bit more than a coin flip's worth uh, because they were playing the fifth seed. So, basically, 30% um, of the time they lost around round one, so 70% of those uh, battles, they were able to continue on. Cool. Okay. 70-30. Fair enough out of that first one because they're better than the fifth place team. However, this surprised me. The fourth place team only lost in the semis uh, 33% of the time. That number should have been higher. That number should have basically been like half or more than half, honestly, um, of that remaining 70. So it's 33 basically out of the 70% that remained. 70 points, whatever we want to call this as we're working through these numbers. So that's just less than half the time they lost in the semifinal round. Remember, if we were looking at the third place one, it was well over half. That was 47 out of 75. So I think this is the magic of limited sample size. Um, a lot of fourth place teams somehow made the finals in this particular round of voting. 37 out of those 70. So these fourth place teams were very good. Somehow. I don't, I don't know how that makes any sense, but once they got to the semifinal round, they beat a bunch of first-place teams. That's probably not accurate, although I think the 70-30 split in the first round is probably fairly reasonable. 
Two more pieces of data to go through on today's show. Fifth place teams lost in round one 53% of the time. See, now we're starting to get somewhere with a little bit of headway. 53 out of 100 tries, they lost. So they only advanced 47% of the time because they're not as good as the four seed. And in what you'd assume would be pretty close to a coin flip, it was. Four seed was just a little bit better. They went 40, uh, they went 53, fifth seed went 47. And then of the remaining 47, 26, per, 26 out of those 47s lost in the semifinal round. So more than half of the time they lost to the first place team and only 21% of the time, only 21 out of uh, the initial 100 even made the finals. And then again, once you got there, it was pretty close to a coin flip. So this data, albeit again a somewhat limited sample size, actually fairly well parallels what we expected. Meaning, slightly worse than a coin flip in the first round. Worse than a coin flip in the second round. Uh, Again, only advancing 21 out of 47 tries, which is about uh, 45% of the time. And honestly, I would have expected it to be a little bit worse even, but... Whatever, doesn't really matter. That's that is what it is. Uh, and then once they made the finals, once they were there, no one has that clear advantage because first of all, this if you're the fifth place team, that means you've already gone through the first place team, so you'd be tackling either the second or third. So whatever, slightly worse than a coin flip again, or b- slightly better, doesn't matter. Call it a coin flip. And finally, the sixth place team, uh, for whatever reason, was slightly better this year. Again, that doesn't make a ton of sense. Sixth place team were about a coin flip in these votes against the third place team in round one. Uh, and then were actually slightly better than a coin flip against the, that'd be the second place team in round two. I can't fathom it. We apparently had a season where a bunch of sixth place teams were very good. Here's what you guys need to take away from all of this. I know we got deep into the gross, gross, ultra dry weeds on these polls and the resultant data. Uh, but the point is, if you were in a second uh, or first or second place versus third through sixth, third place lost 25% in the first round, fourth place lost 30% in the first round, fifth place lost 53% of the time in the first round, and sixth place lost 50% of the time in the first round. Being in those spots, even if you're very good, you still, in a best-case scenario, the third-place spot, still lost 25 out of 100 tries in the first round. You've shaved your chances of making the finals and getting to money in a very worst, in a very, or sorry, in a very best-case scenario by that 25% of you losing in the first round. It just pulls it out. You only have 75 chances out of 100 to make the finals instead of 100 out of 100 when the whole thing starts. Remember, first place made the finals 73% of the time once the playoffs started. That's a really good number to end up with cash. Second place, 52. Not as great. But pretty good. Pretty good. Third place, 28. Yeah, you're starting to see the big drop-off there, aren't you? Fourth place, 
37. I don't know why it went up. It did. It doesn't matter. The point is, it's still well below 50. Fifth place, 21. And sixth place, 31. Also unexpectedly high for sixth place. Can't explain that. We're calling we're calling it uh, the magic of small sample sizes. But sample sizes be damned. We don't have confidence intervals here. But what I do have confidence in is telling you, look, first and second place made the finals more than 50% of the time. They ended up with cash more than half the time. And none of the other spots can boast anything above, above about 35%. And that was pretty fluky. It's probably more like 25 for most of them, a little higher for third. Maybe, or I'd say probably pretty damn close to that for fourth and fifth, and probably less than that for sixth. Although it's tough to say at that point, because remember, fourth and fifth, if they can beat each other, they get the first place team. So it's possible that the sixth place team, if they can get by third, maybe they do have a better shot to actually make the finals at that point. So, that, I mean, that's the little stuff where, like, the semis are easier for the sixth place team than they are for the fourth and fifth. But whatever. So that skews the data a little bit on getting through the semis. The point is, sixth place team is going to have a tougher time in round one. And the point of all of it is, you get a huge power boost by basically doubling or more by getting that first round by. And so that's why everything we do this coming season in head-to-head is going to be laser-focused on a first round buy. There's almost nothing, there's almost no one thing you can do on draft day or during the season with trades, with trying to set up games played for the postseason. There's almost no one target you can have that's more important than skipping a round of your playoffs. And I hope that the data we've uncovered the last four or five shows is convincing enough of that fact. Tomorrow, we'll playoff preview the weekend. We'll do one more lesson, and on Monday, we will go into Yahoo's end-of-season versus beginning-of-season comparisons, and that'll ride us for quite some time. Enjoy your Thursday, everybody. Enjoy your Game 6s tonight. Should be a lot of fun. You know I'll be rooting for my Lakers. I'm Dan Baspers for Fantasy NBA Today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.